If this is your first time with us, I just want to say thank you for joining us. I know it can be intriguing to join things at the end of the year, but some of my favorite people in the planet joined Chi Alpha near the end of the year. So it's not too late to get jumped in to see God move your life. Amen? Amen. Culture can be strong, correct? We can be easily swayed and changed by our surroundings. And sometimes it's a good thing. As you just saw those seniors, a godly culture helped them fall more in love with Jesus. I pray that's happened for you this year as well. However, this can also be a very negative thing. For example, my family has a very strong culture. Speaking of my family, my parents are here tonight. Can we give them a standing ovation? Can we stand up and thank them? All right, now time to criticize my family. This will be fun. <laughs> See, my family, we're very similar to each other, and we influence each other heavily. This can be good sometimes, but sometimes this isn't so great. I have three older brothers. Two of them look very much like me. And as the youngest brother, I would try to copy them. I'd want to fit in with them. I want to be like them. And weirdly enough, this culture of intense brotherhood greatly impacted one thing. Our seventh grade hairstyle and school picture. I'll just show you, if we could put that. That's, that is me and my two older brothers, all in seventh grade, all with frosted tips, all with chubby cheeks, ready to love the Lord. Amen. And see, I want you to actually leave that up there for a second. Usually I take my embarrassing pictures down, but this picture proves something. Culture can do bad things to you. Okay, that's a bad influence. We look off. Stop taking pictures, Harley. <laughs> you think you're sneaky putting it up there? No, I see it. Anyways, take it down. Oh, the frosted tips are terrible. So culture can sometimes be. <laughs> I thought she snuck it, or he snuck it back up there. I was about to snap, Alex. Anyways, uh, see, culture can be good, but it can also be very bad. That culture is sinful, and don't ever be like that. But if you have frosted tips, we love you, and I'll pray for you after service. <laughs> Most of us, we're heading into a season where we're heading either maybe back into a former culture of our lives, or maybe we're heading into a new culture. Maybe you're getting ready to graduate and you're going to a new season, or maybe you're going back to an old season of like high, your high school friends. See, I pray that over this past year and your time in Chi Alpha that your life has been changed. I pray that you're closer to Jesus, that you're slightly different than when you first walked into Lang Hall. And as our lives change and we see God do powerful things, it changes who we are. It changes our habits. It changes our lifestyles. And that can hopefully be a good thing. I hope that this heart change has been good. But something that's interesting is about the heart change that's probably happened in your life since joining Chi Alpha has been accompanied by a location change and a culture change because you've been in this community. You've moved to Cedar Falls. You've been thrown into the Chi Alpha culture. And I love our Chi Alpha culture, but there is one problem. We won't always have each other. For some of you, this is your last few weeks that you'll ever be surrounded by this community. I pray that you will find a Jesus-loving community to challenge you in, this next, in your next season, but it might be different. And for a lot of you, you're going to be leaving Cedar Falls, and you'll be headed back home, and you will not be bringing Chi Alpha with you. You'll still have this family, like there's still technology, you can talk to each other, but it will be different for this short season of summer where we're not with each other on a weekly basis. We're being sent out from this cultural context to a different one in our next season of life. For some, it'll be a short season. For some, it'll be long. And my fear is that what God has done in your heart is going to stay here. That when your old life or your new life slaps you in the face, 
you'll revert to a less godly version of yourself. We don't want this, right? We want our hearts fixated on Jesus. We want what God has done in us to continue happening through our lives. We want to keep growing closer to Jesus, even in our next cultural context. We want to continue to live a life worth emulating. Tonight we're going to continue our sermon series, A Life Worth Emulating, where we look at some Old Testament heroes. For example, the first week we looked at Joshua and how we are called to be set apart to be used by God. Then last week Victor brought us an inspiring message on the grace of God through the story of David. This week we're going to continue working through the Old Testament as we look to to Daniel, not David. Victor did David. I do Daniel. Here we go. Daniel is set a quite some time after the story of David, actually. For some backstory, as hopefully you remember, Joshua had brought God's people out of captivity and into the promised land. And then David eventually actually becomes king of God's people in this promised land. So they have relative harmony for many years, and things are going well as David is king. And David keeps this kingdom unified until, unfortunately, his son Solomon sins, and that sin leads to this kingdom that Joshua brought into the promised land. This kingdom becomes divided, and this divided kingdom has a lot of conflict, and eventually it is conquered by the Babylonian Empire. So the people that Joshua brought out of captivity hundreds and hundreds of years later, they get conquered by a different empire, and they're sent into exile. Daniel, the character we're going to study tonight, was one of the first people to be sent into exile, to be taken from Israel, from the promised land, and to be taken to Babylon. Because God's people, they're defeated. Their culture, their godly culture was on the brink of destruction. They are sent to exile. And in this setting, this is where we find Daniel and his friends on their way back to Babylon. And Daniel and his friends are pretty smart guys. They're people who can easily rise up and they quickly advance in this new kingdom. Eventually, they're actually recruited by the king of Babylon to be trained for his service. And a part of this training is they're asked to eat a special diet. The special diet actually went against the diet that God had instructed them to eat. So God had instructed his people when they were in the promised land to eat a specific diet, and now that they enter this new culture, the surrounding culture is trying to get them to conform to eating a new diet, which would violate their religious duties. So Daniel's at a crossroads. He obviously wants to do well in his new home, right? He's going to a new environment. He wants to impress the people. He wants them to like him, but he also didn't want to violate the commands of God. He wanted to stay true to his godly culture, and this theme runs throughout Daniel's life. In Daniel 1, verse 8, we find out what he decides to do. It says this, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So Daniel proceeds to make a deal with this new empire. He says, Let me and my friends eat the food that God had prescribed to us, And then set some other guys aside and have them eat the king's diet. And after 10 days, let's see who's in better physical condition. This was a very risky proposition for Daniel. Because the king's diet consisted of meat and the best food for muscle growth. And in this time period, skinniness wasn't like what they're going after. They're going after thickness. They wanted to grow in strength as well. They weren't just after being healthy. It's more about growing in strength. So Daniel was going to eat vegetables and drink water to get thick and strong. He's set up for failure, right? But he goes for it anyways because he trusts God. Let's read what happens in Daniel 1.15. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. By the grace of God, their vegetables made them fat, which is what they wanted. So God had come through because Daniel had kept the commands of God. So as Daniel goes into this new culture, he stays true to God, and this impacts the rest of his life. 
Before we dive into the rest of his story, I'm going to pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, God. Thank you for these testimonies of how you've moved in people's lives over these past few years. We love you so much. Amen. Amen. The main idea is this. We are called to change culture, not consume culture. We are called to change culture, not consume culture. Let's unpack this a bit. Daniel's life is defined by continually being thrown into new cultures and choosing to never succumb to his surroundings. He specifically always stands for God. In this first story, we see Daniel choose not to give in to the cultural demands of him with his diet, but instead he resists being influenced by this new culture. We must resist being influenced by culture. There is definitely a strong temptation for Daniel to give in to his surroundings, right? He's in a new home. He wanted to rise up the, the food chain of sorts. And there's a lot of potential for growth for him. Going with the status quo and doing what everyone else was doing would have been the easy decision for Daniel. Not only would it have been easy, it also would have been logical. Because there's no going back home. His home was destroyed. He was stuck in the Babylonian Empire. So it would have made sense for him to try to fit in. But Daniel chooses the harder route because he loved God more than he loved his culture. Daniel cared more about what God thought of him than what the people around him thought of him. This is so hard in our current day, right? Our culture is telling us many things. It's telling us that following God is not fun. It's telling us that following God is just backwards thinking. Following the commands of God is seen as oppressive in our society. We're bombarded with this fact that we either need to give in to culture or we need to give in to God because it's impossible to please both because our culture is just becoming more and more at ends with what Jesus commands of us. And this is challenging, right? My freshman year of college, my life was turned upside down for Jesus. See, I'd always followed God. I always grew up going to church, but it didn't really impact my daily life. I would still give in to the culture around me, specifically in the way that I talked. Not as much like swearing, but when I was with my friends, I'd make inappropriate jokes, talk crudely, things like that. And then I went to college, and I came back to my high school friends, and I told them, I'm different now. Jesus has changed my heart, and I'm going to give everything for God. However, as I got back into that old environment of my high school friends, the crude talking, inappropriate jokes, talking like the world, started to fly all over again. I started to talk the exact same way. And to be honest, in the time, I didn't really think much of it, just the way I'm speaking. Who cares, right? So I didn't think about it until about a year later. About a year later, my high school friends... They started traveling up to Cedar Falls, and they'd hang out with my Chi Alpha friends. They'd come up to play basketball. We'd hang out together. It was really cool for me. My ungodly high school friends were interacting with my godly Chi Alpha friends. It was such a cool thing until one day. One day, one of my Chi Alpha friends pulls me aside, and he tells me that he stayed up the night before, all night, talking to one of my high school friends while they were playing PlayStation together. I'm like, this would be sweet. He said that he started talking about Jesus, and then my high school friend told him something that I'll never forget. My high school friend tells my Chi Alpha friend that he thought that I, as in Derek, was a fraud. He said, Derek acts like he loves Jesus, but when he comes back home, he speaks the exact same way he used to. He says, Derek just talks the same way the rest of us do. He makes inappropriate jokes. He's crude. It's like, I don't think God actually did anything to him. He's acting the exact same. See, all my high school friends, they started to drink after high school. I didn't. All my high school friends started to do things with girls outside of marriage. I got married, which kind of solved that issue. None of them went to church. I went to church multiple times a week. I started pursuing a life in ministry, but none of that made a difference to him simply because of the way I spoke. 
His perspective of me was not changed by having morality or my actions. His perspective of me was changed because I didn't change the way I acted around him. Because my witness was ruined for a little thing like an inappropriate joke. For the altar of comedy, of making my friends think I'm funny, I absolutely ruined my witness to my high school friend. I gave into one piece of that culture. One piece. Everything else I didn't give into, but I gave into one tiny part of it, and it ruined my entire influence with them. I still think about this often. This friend still doesn't love Jesus. And I just wonder if I just wanted to make an inappropriate joke, would that be different now? So it's not enough to just live a life of morality. We must resist culture. Daniel, he could have chosen to eat one part of the king's diet, right? He could have said, okay, I'll eat mostly godly food, but I'll have meat just so I can get a little bit of thickness from it. But he chose not to. He completely resisted the ungodly culture around him. And God is calling us to do the same. So as you go into a new environment, or maybe you go back home, you're going to be faced with a choice. Will you give in to the culture around you? Will you consume the culture around you? Or will you change the culture around you? Will you go back to your old sins? Will you talk like everyone else? Will you act like everyone else? And it's even bigger than just not giving in to old sins of your, of your past life. God is calling us to not only resist culture, he's calling us to change culture, to create something new. It is not enough to just not join in with the sinful actions around us. We are called to be a light everywhere we go. We are called to present something new. See, what is required of us is not just the absence of sin, but the presence of godliness is what is needed to make an impact. If we want to change culture, we can't just avoid the sins of our surrounding, but instead we must be different than the people around us by presenting a godly atmosphere. We must look like Jesus as we go into our new cultures. We need to talk about what God has done in us. So don't just resist sin. Tell the story of why you're resisting sin. Talk about how your life is different now. Talk about what God is speaking to in your quiet time, which starts obviously with having a quiet time when you're back home. Talk about the power of Jesus and how he's changed your life and broken sins off your life. Be vulnerable about what you currently struggle with and what you used to struggle with. Tell people who the real you was in high school and who the new real you is now. Let people get to know the real you. See, as we learn from Daniel's story, that as we resist culture, culture is going to fight back. Culture doesn't go down, with a fight, go down without a fight. As we resist the influence of culture, we will be persecuted. Continuing on in Daniel's story, we're going to get to chapter 3. In chapter 3, the king decides that he's going to create like an image or a statue of himself so that the people can worship him. He then makes a decree that all the people of Babylon, all the people of his empire, must worship this image, and if they don't, they will be thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel did not come alone to Babylon. He came with three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These friends were also part of God's people. They also worshiped God. And a part of following God is obviously not bowing to other idols, right? We're not to worship anyone besides God. So bowing in worship to this statue or this idol of this king would have been blasphemous to God. So they are faced with another choice. Do we give in and get burned with a fiery furnace? Or do I worship this idol? And they decide not to worship it. 
And then the king gets really ticked off, and he responds in this way. Daniel 3, 13 through 14, the king's name is Nebuchadnezzar. Then Nebuchadnezzar, again, he's the king, in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? The king then goes on to say, If you don't worship this statue of me, then I'm going to throw you into a furnace. The three men respond this way. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answer, say to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, oh, this is baller. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Come on. They're basically like, yeah, we're not going to worship you. Throw me in a furnace, I dare you. Ooh, you just got burning. I've got God on my side. And guess what? If God doesn't deliver us, I still don't really care. He's still better than you. There's a whole message there about not following God based on our circumstances or not following God when he's doing things for us only, like how God's not a divine vending machine, but I'll just leave that there. Let's continue our story. Daniel 3.19 says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind them and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they are thrown into a burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fall, bound into the burning, fiery furnace. These men are persecuted for what they believe in. They're thrown into a furnace because they don't bow to other gods. But they don't let that stop them from standing up for what God believes in. They don't succumb to their surroundings. They stand tall for God. As you go home, you might face persecution. People might mock you. They might try to berate you. Maybe your life has changed this year, and you've changed a lot of your habits. Maybe you used to drink and party with your high school friends. Maybe you talked a certain way. Maybe you did a lot of sinful activities with these same people you're going back to. And if their lives haven't changed, they might be really confused. Like, why are you so different now? And since they don't understand what's happened in your life because they haven't encountered God possibly in the same way, they're just going to expect you to be the same person you used to be. They'll try to get you to do sinful things with them. And if you resist, they might say things to you like, oh, you've changed. You're judging me now. You go to that church thing now. You must be judgmental, right? They'll say you've lost yourself. You're not the same person you once were. And that's a compliment. If you did not follow Jesus closely before you came to college, and now you do, and no one notices a difference, that's the problem. The problem's not if someone accuses you of changing. I hope that you've changed if Jesus has met you this year. So don't be surprised or offended if people accuse you of being different. Instead, use it as an opportunity to point to why there's a new you. We live in a culture where individuality or changing is seen as sinful. It's called going against yourself. It says if you lose who you were, you must be doing something wrong, but that's not biblical. See, Peter changed. Paul changed. They both literally changed their names. It was Simon, then it was Peter. It was Saul, then it was Paul. They literally died to their old selves to live to a new godly self. The sign of maturity is not staying true to who you are. No, 
It's staying true to who you are if it's healthy and godly. And it's changing if it's not godly. That's maturity. Staying true to who you are, even if it's sinful, is stubbornness, not godliness. We cannot have an idol of our past or an idol of our upbringings or of what our families or friends think of us if it goes against what God thinks of us. It doesn't really matter the way you were brought up or what you were taught or who you were. All that matters is are you godly or not? It doesn't matter what the world around us thinks of us. All that matters is what the God of the Bible thinks of us. So as we go into our old environments, we might be persecuted for being a different person. The beauty is, though, that when we are persecuted, God will be with us. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into a furnace, something remarkable happens. It says this in Daniel 3.24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire, and they're not hurt. The appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. They walk through the fire, and they're not burned because God is with them. This fourth figure in the story represents God. Because God is with them, the fire, the persecution, has no effect on them. If you will stand for God, if you will stand for holiness, and you'll resist the influence of culture, God will be with you. So as you head into a new culture or a new environment, do not have fear. Be bold. I think too often we get scared to go home for the summer, right? We're like, if I'm going to go home, I'm certainly going to f- go fall back in ungodliness or my old sins. I just can't do it on my own. You're right. You can't do it on your own, which is the beautiful part of King Jesus. He'll be there with you the whole time. You're not expected to do it on your own. God does not leave them in the furnace by themselves to figure out how to escape. No, God enters the furnace and protects them so they can walk out unscathed. And God will do the same thing for you as you go into this next season of life. Too often we let fear dictate our actions. We're too scared to stand up. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are anything but scared. They say, throw me in the fire, watch what happens. And then they get to walk out free. So how do we stay close to God over this summer? How do we invite him in? We do what we've talked about all year. We have a real devotional life. We live in real community. We live a life of real responsibility. We spend time in the scriptures. We pray. And if we do that, if we spend time with King Jesus, you'll walk through the fire and not be burned because he'll be right next to you. And if God is with us, we will change culture. I want to explore one last story from Daniel's life. Eventually, the Babylonians are overthrown by this other empire, the Persians. And so Daniel is thrown from God's people to the Babylonians to a whole other culture. He has a lot thrown at him throughout his life. And he has this new leader. And this new leader picks three high officials to kind of run the government. And one of them ends up being Daniel because Daniel is faithful through his life. Daniel's faithfulness, even though he stayed true to God, he's exalted his whole life and given leadership and influence, which there's a whole note there on being a person of integrity and character, and how if we're faithful to the things God asks of us, we will be exalted. But I'll leave that there too. So there's these three officials and a few other government officials that they're upset, they're jealous about Daniel's being exalted. So they try to find a way to bring him down, and they can't find anything. Because Daniel is a person of character. You're in a good place when it's hard to bring you down, right? Make your private life just as holy as your, per- as your public life. 
And so since they can't find any fault in Daniel, they know that the only way to bring him down is to attack his relationship with God. Because they knew that Daniel was holy and a person of integrity and he followed all the laws, but they did know that he would choose God over this new kingdom. So they make a plan. They tell the new king that he should make a proclamation that if anyone worships another god besides him, that they'll be thrown into a lion's den. These people keep being thrown into places they don't want to be thrown into. So the king, a little arrogant, he's like, oh, that's kind of cool. I'd like to be praised. And no one else get praised? Sure, let's do it. He doesn't really think too deeply. There's a whole other message on thinking deeply before I make decisions. But again, we'll leave that there. We've got to go quick. So Daniel finds out about this new proclamation that he's not allowed to worship anyone besides the king. And I love the way he responds. Daniel 6 says this. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, that's the document saying you can't worship anyone else, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and he prayed and gave thanks to God as he had done previously. So Daniel's told, don't worship anyone besides the king. So what's his solution? He goes home, he opens the windows for everyone to hear and starts worshiping God. There's a lot we can learn from Daniel here, but I want to focus on a couple things. First of all, Daniel was clearly a person of prayer. It says that he prayed as he had done previously, meaning Daniel didn't just start praying when he's put into a rock in a hard place, right? He didn't just start praying because his life was getting stressful. He didn't just start praying because he's worried about this king coming to attack him. He didn't just start crying out to God for help and protection and wisdom. No, he prayed as he had done previously, showing Daniel was a man of discipline. Daniel didn't just pray when life got hard or when he didn't study for a test. Prayer was a regular part of his life. He prayed three times a day every day. If you want to have a successful summer, if you want to have a successful transition to your next season of life, you cannot wait until the temptation comes, until life gets hard to develop a praying life. It's too late then. We must have a lifestyle of prayer, not one prayerful action in the middle of trials, right? Just one time of crying out to God when we're tempted won't have the same effect as a lifestyle of prayer. When you're in the middle of temptation, like let's say you're, you get someone asks you to go to a party or you have people of the opposite gender trying to bust a move on you and you're in the middle of temptation, like that pretty girl is just coming to make a move. You're not going to be like, hold up a second. I need to pray. God, help me resist temptation. It's strong right now. I don't want to give in to it. And then be like, you know what, lady, you're attractive, but no, I'm going to go to God. That's not going to happen, right? We must be praying before temptation comes. It'll be too late and too hard if the moment we start praying is the moment of temptation. We need to be prayerful before trials come if we want to succeed in the face of opposition. And the only way for this to happen is discipline. The reason Daniel could stand strong in the face of trials, in the face of the threat of a lion's den, was because he was a disciplined, prayerful person. He had prayed every day before them, so why would he stop praying when persecution came, right? We also learn here that Daniel, again, resists culture. Even though he knew he'd be punished, he knew the stakes. But pleasing God was more important to him than his comfort. A lion's den does not sound comfortable to me. Eat man eating lions, hungry and angry, is not comfortable, amen? However... Daniel valued his devotion and his purity above his comfort. Daniel spent time with God knowing that his consequence would be a lion's den and probably death. But sometimes we will not spend time with God 
when our greatest consequence is going to bed earlier and getting up earlier, when our greatest consequence is less time on TikTok and less free time. And we won't pay that sacrifice, but Daniel was willing to be eaten by a lion because his real devotional life was that important to him. I think too often we take it for granted that we get to spend time with God because we live in a culture and a country where it's free to worship King Jesus. If we will not worship King Jesus, we're in the middle, we have no chance of being punished. What would we do in the middle of a Muslim country where there's no chance of not being punished? Following God is not about our comfort level. If it's uncomfortable for you to get up and spend time with Jesus early in the morning, get uncomfortable. Spending time with God is worth it. If it's uncomfortable for us to be godly when we go home because our friends and families are bad influence on us and they don't follow Jesus, we have to be okay getting uncomfortable. We do not follow Jesus until it requires sacrifice on our end. We follow Jesus enough to sacrifice on our end. Daniel's faithful to God, even in the face of a lion. So the other officials, they come and they see Daniel praying, and they say, we have to throw him in the lion's den. He's praying, gotcha. And the king actually likes Daniel, so he doesn't like that he has to throw him in the lion's den, but he also needs to follow his rules, right? He can't look like he's not a good king. So he's sad, but he throws Daniel into a lion's den, and he stays up all night worrying about it. And then the king runs to the lion's den the next morning to see if somehow Daniel's God protected him. This is what we read in Daniel 6. And he came near to the den where Daniel was, and he cried out in a tone of anguish. He said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den and no harm was found on him because he trusted in his God. Because he trusted in God, no harm was found on him. In the face of opposition, we are called to trust God. He will protect us. We are not called to worry about our external circumstances. We are just called to stand for God no matter what those external circumstances are. And the story gets even better. This is my favorite part of the whole story of Daniel. Then King Darius wrote to all his people, nations, and languages that dwell on all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. Listen to this, please, Chi Alpha. I make a decree that in all of my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. A pagan king who wanted people to worship himself is brought to his knees in worship and commands his whole people worship God simply because Daniel was willing to trust God in the face of opposition. Daniel gets to not only survive a lion attack, he also gets to impact the king. He moves the king so much that the king changes and starts fearing God. Daniel's faithfulness and his resistance to surrounding culture was a witness to this new culture he's in. Through staying true to the kingdom of God, he influenced the culture around him. He changed the culture instead of consuming it. If we want to be a witness to our friends, if you want to make an impact, if God has done something inside of your heart this year and you would love to see that for the people in your homes, we must resist the culture. If we give in and look like everyone around us, we will lose our witness. The power of our witness is in the difference of our lifestyles. Our lifestyles should demand explanation. I want when people look at my life for them to notice something different about me that I have joy amidst trials, that the external circumstances aren't impacting me, that I have hope because of King Jesus. 
I want to be a person of holiness, of purity, and devotion to God. I want to be different than the world around me. Because that's the only way I'll have an influence. I think if we're honest, specifically in the middle of Iowa, we really fear rocking the boat. And we think that being a good witness to our culture is fitting into it. We don't want to stand out because we don't want to offend anyone. We feel like we need to act like everything's okay and everyone's decisions are all all fine because we don't want to be offensive. We think that if we don't go along with what our friends are doing, then they will, they'll stop talking to me, so then I'll lose my, any opportunity to be a witness to them. We think if I act different, then I'll lose my power to ha- be friends with them, so then I won't be able to bring Jesus to them, so I just need to succumb to their lifestyles so I can keep this friendship. But in actuality, that ruins our influence, because being different from people is what makes them notice something different about us. Being different than your friends is a good thing if your friends are ungodly. You want them to notice there's something different about you. Otherwise, why would they ask what's different about you? How can I get to know this guy named Jesus? When we are different from our friends, when we are different from the culture around us in a godly way, people will ask why. And in that moment, we have an opportunity to give glory to God, and that's when we have a witness. Our witness is not in in being conforming to everyone around us. Our witness is standing out for the goodness of God. We have an opportunity, Chi Alpha, as you go home into these new cultures. You can be a shining beacon of hope and a light to the people around you. But if we choose to just live our old lifestyles like we used to, we will lose that opportunity. My prayer is that instead of Chi Alpha staying in Lang Hall, is that when you guys go home, we send it across the state. And that we see people's lives turned upside down. They don't need to come on a Tuesday night to meet Jesus. So Chi Alpha, I have three challenges for you. Number one, I challenge you to be disciplined to Jesus. The only way we'll be able to resist ungodly culture is through discipline to Jesus. If we are not disciplined, we will not be strong enough on our own to resist temptations of the world. As much as I love you and believe in you, I do not believe in your own strength without a real devotional life to resist culture. We must be disciplined to Jesus if we want to be able to stand strong. Number two, we must be different from the ungodly culture. If the culture surrounding you is ungodly, please do not succumb to it. Do not fall back into old sin. Don't fall into talking the way you used to. Don't act the way you used to. Live a godly lifestyle that demands explanation. If you're moving and you're moving into a new like, professional environment, it'll be tempting as you enter the workforce for the first time to want to give in to the culture of that workforce because you don't want to stand out right. You want to fit in. You want to have friends in your new environment. I challenge you not to do that if it's ungodly. Like, you don't need to go out of your way to be a jerk to everyone and make you feel different than them. But just don't give in to the, god, the ungodly parts of their culture. Use any opportunity you have to connect with them, right? If you have a common interest, use it, but then point to Jesus. Be different from the ungodly culture. And number three, be diligent to point to Jesus. We are called to be disciplined, to be different, and to be diligent to point to Jesus. When we are different from people, they will ask questions as to why. We do not use this as an opportunity to boast of ourselves, but instead as an opportunity to boast in God. I want to go back to that story with my high school friend. Unfortunately, I haven't had many opportunities since then to be Jesus to him. And that breaks my heart. If he died right now, his eternity would not be with God. And I haven't had opportunities to influence him since then. The taste that I left in his mouth of Jesus is not one that I'm proud of. And I'm praying for a chance to change that someday. However, this is not always the case. 
sometimes we get to be a godly influence. So during my junior year of college, which is about a year after that conversation with that high school friend happened, I met Forrest Estrom. See, I helped Forrest learn a little bit about Jesus as he was in my small group. And his life was turned upside down because of the kingdom of God in his first semester in Chi Alpha. And fortunately, Forrest was better than I when he went home. Forrest did not blow his chance when he went home for that winter break. When he went home during winter break, he started talking to his best friend from high school, Noah Ruckty, about Jesus. He took Noah through a chapter of the book of Matthew every day, and they talked about God all break long. I asked Noah, did Forrest ever talk to you about God before then? And he laughed and said, no, we never talked about anything serious, talked about God. Their friendship was surface level. And so when Forrest went home, he could have easily chosen to let it stay that way, right? That would have been the comfortable thing, to not make, like rock the boat, to, let, to give into the culture of surface level and give into the culture of ungodliness. He could have succumbed to the old culture of their friendship. He had no need to bring up Jesus because it would have been uncomfortable. He could have been scared to offend Noah and push him too far as Noah was getting slightly interested in God. Maybe he was too scared to push him too much. So he could have given into that pressure of the culture and started consuming it. But instead, Forrest chose to change his culture. And because Forrest was willing to change the culture of his home life, Noah Ruckty came to know Jesus. And because of Noah Ruckty, Joel Allen, Sam Childers, and Hunter Peterson all started following Jesus not too long after that as they entered his small group. And now all three of those guys are leading some of you in small group, and you're here because of their influence, which is because of Noah's influence, which is because Forrest was willing to stand up and stand out amidst his home culture. Now Noah is an intern with our Chi Alpha and wants to pursue ministry for full time. Joel, who is in Noah's small group, also is doing our internship next year and wants to pursue ministry full time. So there's two future ministers of the gospel multiple people's lives forever changed, eternities altered, there's students in this room who would have been destined for hell, who now get to spend eternity with Jesus, simply because Forrest said, I'm not gonna consume my culture, I'm gonna be willing to offend Noah a little bit so I can change the culture of his life. Are we gonna give in when we go home? Amen, we can clap for that. So when we go home, we have an opportunity change because we are called to change culture not consume culture don't give in when it's easy just to go with the status quo of your old relationships people's futures are on the line people's destinies can be changed by you bringing up Jesus one time maybe you're here tonight and you're a little scared to go home and not be surrounded by your Chi Alpha family maybe this looks like you going home for the summer or maybe you're going to graduate and you're scared to be truly sent out. Or possibly you're here, and if you're honest, you've actually never consumed the culture of Jesus. You've always been following the world. Your life's defined by just momentary happiness, but you don't really feel hope, and you want something new. See, the beauty of God is it's not too late to change the culture inside of your heart. Before we worry about changing the culture around us, God wants to impact the culture that's going on inside of you right now. And the culture that we stand for in this Chi Alpha family is based off of King Jesus. See, Jesus saw the culture of our world. Jesus saw a culture of sin, despair, and hopelessness, and he decided to change this culture. And he does this through dying on a cross and to pay for our sins. Through Jesus' sacrifice, we have the opportunity to spend eternity with him and to live a pure lifestyle. God is asking you, He's asking you not to just consume the culture of the world around you, but to instead change it 
to pursue godliness and to create a godly culture wherever you're going. We are looking towards this upcoming season and we are faced with two possible futures. One future is that when you all go home for the summer, you come back in August having lost your passion for God because you gave into your home culture, because you gave into old sins, and you come back this next fall spiritually dead. And if you do this, we'll have to spend time working on your heart, recovering your heart to be more like Jesus before we can worry about being a light to new students, right? There's thousands of students who are coming to our campus for the first time this August who do not know the name of Jesus. But if you choose to go home and give back into culture, the last thing you'll be able to worry about in August is those lost students because you need to get your heart back right with God. So we'll be faced with an uphill battle. We're worried about our own recovery rather than gaining ground for the kingdom of God. That's one choice. Or there's a second choice. We can change our home cultures. This is better than just surviving during the summer and coming back relatively healthy. I don't even care about that. What I want is I want you to be a light when you go home. I want you to influence your home culture. I want when you see your high school friends, you see Jesus inside of them and you bring Jesus to them. Imagine the people in your life, your parents, your siblings, your friends that do not know Jesus and imagine what God has done inside of your heart this year. Wouldn't it be wrong of us to not want that for them? And if we truly want that and it burns inside of us, we'll do whatever it takes to present Jesus to them. And if you go home and you change the culture instead of consuming it, we can reach the next Noah Rukti with the gospel. We can be world changers. And then we get to come back next fall. And we're going to kick back the gates of hell on campus. Let's choose to change culture, not consume it. If you'd all stand with me. I want to give us two ways to respond, just like we do every week at Chi Alpha. If you're here and you haven't really succumbed to the culture of Jesus, and he hasn't changed the culture inside of your heart, and you want to let God be king, and you want to give your life to Jesus, maybe for the first time, I feel like there's someone in here and God is just like permeating your heart and you feel like your heart's beating a thousand miles an hour, and you're at a crossroads and God is saying, I need you to choose me. I promise you I'm worth it. You will not regret it. That maybe you're scared of losing that individuality, scared to fully dive into relationship with God, and God is saying to you, I promise you it'll be better. So if that's you, and you want to give your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads, and I'm going to count to three, and if that's you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as an obedient act to God that you're all in with him. If that's you on the count of three, raise your hand. One, two, three. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone in here whose eternity was destined to be apart from you, that that just changed in that moment, God, that they're going to get to spend eternity with you, King Jesus. In your name, amen. Amen. The second way I want us to respond is I want us, as we go into this last worship song, I want us to commit inside of our hearts that when we go to a different culture, whether that's staying in Cedar Falls and you're going to a new workplace, or whether it's graduating or it's going back home to your high school time, that you are going to commit to changing that culture. If you would all raise your hands right now. You can raise them high. You can just raise them here. But we're going to, as we sing this song, I'm going to pray over us. And this is just a sign to God that we are all in. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, thank you for your goodness, God. Jesus, we are ready. God, we want to be sent out. God, we are ready to go. Jesus, I pray that Chi Alpha will be a culture trend-setting group, God. That we will not just give in to the world around us, but instead we will change the world around us for your kingdom. We love you so much, Jesus.